So if you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to just read two verses tonight, one from 1 Peter and one from Psalm 66. Um, it's rare that I ever do that, just go with one verse, but th this verse has been on my heart all week, and I've been mulling it over, and I, I just, I, I probably don't have an hour's worth of material, but we will just go with what the Lord gave me and uh, see what he does. But several months ago, we began a sermon series on the secrets to uh, living a victorious Christian life. And we're going to continue that series tonight and, and the first week in December, and then we'll do a Christmas message and start a new series when we come back from Christmas break. But um, we're looking at the things that keep us from walking in victory. And tonight, we're going to look specifically at, at hindrances to our prayer life, hindrances that keep us from walking in power and authority. Prayer is where we get power, and if our prayer life is hindered, so is our power. And tonight, I'd like to talk with you about a secret that will, I believe, revolutionize your prayer life. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 4, I'd like to just read verse 7. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. That word serious, some of your translations might say sober. Uh, that word serious means to exercise self-control or to curb one's passions. So be serious. Exercise self-control and, and curb your passions. It, it means to, to keep a check on one's fleshly desires. It speaks of habitual self-government. Plato defined it as the mastery of pleasure and desire. As Christians, we must learn to master our fleshly desires, or they will master us. Genesis 4, 7 says, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. We have to learn uh, to master our fleshly desires through habitual self-government. Peter says we need to do that because here's a reality check. The end of all things is at hand. So it's vital that we learn to master our fleshly desires. We're not only to be serious or sober in our prayers, but we're also told to be watchful in our prayers. That word watchful means to be in a wakeful state of mind, guarding against sin and folly. It means to be awake. Why should we stay awake and alert? Because the end of all things is at hand. You say, the end of all things is hardly at hand. Well, really ask the people that were killed at that parade yesterday. Do you think that when they were lining up, getting ready to march down Main Street, do you really think that they ever thought that was going to be the last day of their life? Do you think that they thought the end of all things is at hand? I don't think for a moment they did. And Peter is saying here that we need to live our life in anticipation and expectation of an end. Because the end of all things, at best, is at hand. Life is a vapor. And so he says, be sober and watchful in prayer. I don't think it's a stretch to say that if I had a prayer meeting 
on Wednesday nights, for example, that very few people would attend. And I don't think that it's because, uh, I think it's because we don't know the first thing about being alert and watchful in prayer. We're not looking for him. We don't really believe the end is at hand. Uh, Peter learned the importance of being watchful in prayer. You'll recall that Jesus took his disciples so far and he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Be watchful, he told them. And what happened? They fell asleep. And so Peter was one of them, and, and so he understood the importance of being watchful in prayer and not falling asleep. It's interesting that that verse in 1 Peter 4, 7, that word watchful has the idea of being asleep. It's in the imperative, a command, and it carries the notion that the person's address, the people that Peter was addressing, had slipped into a careless state from which they needed arousal. They had fallen asleep spiritually because they had been careless spiritually. They had entertained sin. They didn't keep a watch over their life. And, and I believe that's the church today. I believe we've been being lulled to sleep. And, and I believe the church has become a place of great comfort and complacency. And I believe we've slipped into a careless state and need to be aroused. We need to be awakened. Lynn, do you have that video? I was studying this, and my son Tyler sent me this video. Can you turn it up? This is Alton and Francis. Good baby. Good baby. Is she sleeping? Wake up! Wake up! Wake up, baby. We want to play. babies. I was studying about the church being lulled to sleep because they were careless and that they're asleep. And Tyler sent me that video and I thought to myself, isn't that what God is doing? Wake up! Wake up! And yet, just like baby Francis, we just continue to sleep soundly. Turn over to Colossians 4, 2. It says, devote yourself to prayer. Colossians 4, uh, 2. Philippians, General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 4, 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Some translations say, be alert and, and, and awake instead of watchful. And it's the same word that's used in 1 Peter 5, 8 that says, be sober and be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to, be, to devour. Be alert, be awake, wake up, because you have an enemy and he's prowling and he's looking for somebody to devour. His goal is he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's looking to bring you and I down and so we can't afford to be asleep we need to wake up we need to be alert and sober-minded and he says devoting yourself to prayer so that you don't get devoured we must wake up devote yourselves to prayer watchful he says being watchful and thankful can I tell you watchful praying 
takes intentionality. It takes effort to be alert to the things of the enemy, the things that the enemy uses to tempt us and to to lure us away from God's best. Watchful praying is being alert to the dangers of our passions and our fleshly desires and to the deceitfulness of sins. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is Jesus' advice to his disciples. He was saying, watch yourself, stay alert, stay sober-minded. Don't fall asleep because you have an enemy. And your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You need to stay alert to temptation. The flesh, it's the flesh that leads us into temptation. Those passions and the desires that rise up within us are what lure us away from God's best into a place of death. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Can I tell you, it is an an all-out war. And it's a war between the flesh and the spirit, the things that God wants us to do and the things that our flesh wants us to do. It's a war. And those fleshly desires will war against your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. And and we're told in Scripture to abstain from those sinful desires because they will wage war against your soul. Those things live in opposition to one another, and we cannot be unaware. James 1, 14 through 15 says, But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he's lured away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You see, I, I do remember, I'm going to date myself, how many of you remember Flip Wilson? And Geraldine, do you remember her? What would she say all the time? The devil made me do it. She blamed everything on the devil. The devil made me do it. But I'm just telling you, the word of God, James doesn't say the devil made you do this. He said each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, his own evil desires, he's lured away and enticed. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, leads to death. It's my own evil desires that leads me away, that lures me away, and that gets me trapped into a place of death. That desire rises up within me, and I say yes to it instead of no. I cherish those things in my heart. I I, want to protect them. I want to do them because they feel good, and my fleshly desire rises up. And James tells me that fleshly desire will lure you away from God's best, and it will entice you. And when that desire is conceived, it will give birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it will give birth to death. And you'll be sitting in a place of death wondering how you got there. And it's all because you allowed that fleshly desire to lure you away. My own evil desires lure me away from God's best. They tempt me. They entice me. We actually believe that we can find enjoyment and satisfaction in something outside of Jesus. That's one of the the lies that sin promises. Sin always promises more than it gives. Have you ever heard the saying that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay? It always leads you worse off than you were before. I asked Dave to give me his wallet tonight. 
he doesn't know what I'm going to do with it. But I'm just wondering if somebody has, somebody wants to take a risk. <laughs> it's a good one, though. <laughs> I promise you it's a good one. So who, who said sure? What do you have in your wallet? Oh, I want somebody with lots because it's going to be worth it. Anybody have lots that you trade? So you'll trade your wallet for Dave's? One, two, three, no changes. You trust me that this is going to be worth it? Okay, I'll trade you. Can I open it? Because it's mine, 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 mine. It's a good deal. <laughs> They're going on vacation tomorrow. It's loaded. <laughs> now open Dave's. <laughs> now open Dave's. It's empty. We made a deal. <laughs> That's sin. That is sin. Sin says it's going to be worth it. I'll give you everything I have. I'll trade the best that God has given me for that thing that looks so tempting and so luring and promises to deliver so much. And then you do it. And you get stuck with nothing. And the enemy walks away with everything. Laughing is right. I won't do that to you. But I, I know this man, and if I really wanted to keep that, he would let me. But, but <laughs> Dave had $2 in his, and I took it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you did too, Davey. <laughs> but you see, that's what the enemy does. He says the payoff of that sin that's luring you and drawing you away is going to be better than the place you're at right now. That whatever God wants to give you, the enemy has something that just is so much better. And if I obey you, God, really? I could have that. And look how good it looks. And the enemy does what I did today, but it's going to be worth it. It's good. I promise you this is going to be good. Trade me. And then we find out it's empty. And the payoff is not worth it at all. The other verse that I've meditated on all week, Psalm 66, verse 18. Turn there. It's just too good to not turn there. I've just been chewing on this. I didn't even get a big sermon because I've been chewing on the scripture all week. Psalm 66, just verse, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Some of your translations will say, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I cherish iniquity, sin, in my heart, the Lord will not hear. You see, we talked about being careless and being Lord asleep because we've been careless spiritually. One of the ways we're careless is when we knowingly tolerate sin in our lives. Because we're, the word of God, and I believe this word, can I tell you, I believe every last word of this Bible. Everyone. I believe the buts and the ands and the ifs and the whens. I believe every, the thous, and I believe every word. Every word of this Bible, I believe, because God says his word is yea and amen to those who believe. And that scripture says that if I cherish sin in my heart, 
God will not hear me. I, I tell you, people say this stuff to me all the time. They'll say, God doesn't hear me. Rhea, could you pray for me? Because God doesn't answer my prayers. He doesn't hear me. Well, here is the answer. Because I believe God's word. And God's word says if your prayers are not getting answered, there is something that hinders them. I sat down this week and I pulled out every scripture that I could find that talked about hindering prayers. I said to the team tonight in prayer, I said, there's a scripture that says if a husband doesn't treat his wife with understanding his prayers are hindered why are we not preaching that in, in church why are we not in a couples group saying listen big guy the way you treat her if you don't treat her with understanding don't you expect to get anything from God because that will hinder your prayers that's God's word it's God's word and so I just read you a scripture that says if I cherish sin in my heart God will not hear me and yet we want to discount that and say, give me the bigger wallet, the bigger payoff, because I cherish that. I, I like it. I looked up that word cherish. It means to give attention to. It means to look at, to gaze. It means to see. It's used the very first mention, where are my Friday morning people? The first mention of that word is that God in creation saw that it was good. He beheld it. And he saw that it was good. It means to treasure. It means to, to uh, place great value on something or to treasure it. If I treasure or place great value on my sin, God will not hear me. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I was visiting with, with my new grandbaby in, in Alton this week, this week, and I got a new understanding of that word cherish. Uh, we had that little granddaughter, her name is Frances Joe. we call her Frankie, and, and, and I held that little sweet thing, and, and, and Alton, when we were leaving, would grab a hold of us and cry for us to stay, and, and my heart just melted, and, and I said to Dave, I understood cherish like I never have before. I, I looked up the word cherished in Webster's, and it means to hold dear. To, to feel or show affection for. It means to entertain or harbor in the mind, to protect and care for lovingly. Oh, baby, can I tell you, I cherish my grandbabies. I, I, I hold them dear. I have deep affection for them. I, I, I entertain them in my mind all the time. I'm thinking about them all the stinking time. I, I love it. And I will protect them. You mess with my grandbabies, you will mess with me. I will protect them with every ounce of my being. And that's the word cherish. And that is what we do. God says we can do that with sin. That we can protect it with everything we have. That we can hold it dear. That, that, that we can entertain loving thoughts about our sin. What is up with that? And he said that when we do that, God won't hear us. He won't hear us. I'm wondering if you have any sin that you value and hold dear. Any sin, secret sin that you protect and hold close. Do you have great affection for something in your life that you, you don't want to, to forsake, you, you want to really entertain? Do you cherish sin in your heart? The, the word for sin there is interesting. When, when I was meditating on it early in the week, I thought it meant things, you know, like hate or unforgiveness or anger or jealousy. Th those, you know, the, the bad sins, those kind of things. But then I looked it up, and it means trouble, wickedness, sorrow, misfortune, adverse circumstances, 
idolatry. See, I, 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 the trouble, the sorrow, the, the wickedness I understood. But I, I entertain and cherish some adverse circumstances. I, I know that some of you aren't like that, but I have some things that have happened in my life that are painful. And I have trouble forgetting them. And I kind of cherish them in my heart. You did this to me. Do it once, shame on you. Do it to me twice, shame on me. And so I'm going to cherish those things and hold them dear and close to my heart, those adverse circumstances, because I don't ever want to get hurt like that again. And so I'm going to cherish those. And then I wonder why my prayers aren't being answered. I wonder why I don't have any power. I, I wonder why, why God isn't coming through for me like I think he should. It's because I've cherished adverse circumstances in my heart. I've hung on to them and held them dear. I, I, have, I have really, uh, quite frankly, entertained them more than I should. I wonder if anybody can relate to that. But it can also be sin. It can be sexual sin. It can be bitterness. It can be all of the sins. Tonight, we, we, were, we were praying in the back room, and, and I just began to, to just spout off some sins. I, I said, you know, self-righteousness. I, I, I talked about arrogance and thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. I, I said, keeping a record of wrongs. I, I talked about bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and jealousy and anger and rage and malice and slander and gossip and criticism. I, I talked about judging with Without mercy and how God says those who judge without mercy uh, mercy without ju or judgment without mercy will be shown to them and, and I started to just spout off some things that God calls sin and somebody came up to me afterwards and says when you preach tonight make sure you give that list because you started you started saying those sins and I was like who could stand in the midst of that we found ourselves in every one of them and those are the things that God says if you cherish in your heart I can't hear you. It means to see iniquity with pleasure. It means to, to look at with affection. We are called to look away from what God hates, and instead we treasure it and we cherish it. The Amplified of that verse says, if I regard sin and baseness in my heart, that is, if I know it's there and do nothing about it, the Lord will not hear me. Look at that. If I know there's sin, that something is sin and I do nothing about it, I'm cherishing it in my heart. If I try to protect it and hold it dear instead of having an aversion to it, if I cherish it and, 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 and dismiss it and excuse it and continue to entertain it even when I know it's wrong. One of the things that, that Dave and I talk to the, the guys that we work with who have sexual addiction, one of the things we'll talk to them about is that they do one of three things. They might do all three with their sin. They rationalize it. I have a right. I'm entitled. I work hard. They justify it. They minimize it. They, 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 they minimize it and make it look small. It's not really that big a deal. And as I, was, as I was preparing this message this week, I thought that's what I do to God about my sin. I justify it. I rationalize it. I minimize it. And he says, I'm calling you to have an aversion to it. I cherish it in my heart. I entertain it even when I know it's wrong. That word baseness is interesting. It means having or showing a lack of decency, 
being mean-spirited or selfish. That's God's word. It's saying if I cherish sin in my heart, if I'm mean-spirited or selfish, God will not hear my prayers. So many people say that God doesn't answer their prayers, and yet here the scripture gives us a clear reason, and we will do nothing about it. He said, if I cherish iniquity in my heart, Scripture says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I think sometimes we could really mask it. We can act like we're super spiritual and we don't have any issue with sin. But our heart, that's where we're cherishing it, in our heart. And you might be able to fool men, but you can't fool God because God looks at the heart, Scripture says. That's what he looks at and he, um, that we can't hide from him. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It's so interesting that in that same verse, the word the Lord is used. And we've talked about this a million times, that the word Lord means him to whom a person belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. So I'm calling him Lord. I'm saying you have the the right to decide in my life, and, and, and yet I am entertaining what you've decided is evil in my life and calling it good. But in the same breath, I'm calling you Lord. You say this is wrong. I say it's right. I call you Lord, but I do it anyway. Do you see how foolish that is? The Lord would not have heard me. Hear, hear is in the sense of answering. God always hears. But it means to give attention to or to consider it. The result of unconfessed sin is that our prayer is unattended to, that God doesn't give attention to them. You say, well, Rhea, that's not right. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous, of those who do what's right. Our unanswered prayer are not caused by God's inability to respond, but they're the result of barriers that we have erected in our hearts. The problem of unanswered prayer is not God's problem, it's our problem. We cannot live a Christian life with unconfessed sin, harboring bitterness and anger, treasuring impurity in our hearts, and still expect God to hear and answer our prayers. We actually think we can keep it hidden and it not affect us. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals their sin will not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You say, well, Rhea, God forgives me. Yes, he does. He says, if, if you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 8, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But, but, but we want to just not, we want to say, I don't have to confess. Somehow the church has picked up on that, that, that they're running with that. You don't have to confess sin anymore. I have no idea where you get that. 1 John 1, 8, or 1, 9, 1, 8, 1, 8, 1, 9. One nine says, I'm so glad I have a resident commentary in the front row. But but first John one nine says, if we, John is including himself as a believer, confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's including himself in that. That word confess means to say the same thing as God. When I confess my sin, I come into agreement with God. How can two walk together unless they're in 
agreement. I can't expect to walk tight with God, to be best buds with God, to walk in fellowship with him unless I'm not, unless I'm in agreement with him. And what he calls sin in my life, when I confess it, I say, I call it the same thing he called it. You say, this is sin. The enemy's telling me this is fun. But you call it sin, and so I'm coming into agreement, and I'm confessing that to you. I sinned. I'm calling it the same thing as you call it, confession. That's confession. Are you following me? Lord, bring me back. So if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, Rhea, he forgave me when I came to, to Christ, and I don't need to forgive it. My past, present, and future sins are forgiven. You betcha. And I'm going to heaven, you betcha. I'm married to Dave. I have a ring on my finger, I'm not taking it off. We are in covenant with each other. He's not going anywhere, I'm not going anywhere. Sometimes we fight. Sometimes he ticks me off. Sometimes he hurts me. Are we still in covenant? Betcha. Is this marred? I might give him the cold shoulder for a little bit. I, I, I can feel it when we're not in fellowship with each other. It doesn't break our covenant, but it mars our fellowship. Are you with me? I'm, we're still in relationship. He's still my husband. I'm still his wife. But until one of us comes back and says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? That fellowship is marred. Are you with me? There's nothing you can ever do to separate you from the love of God. You are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that no man can boast. You being saved was a gift of God. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't confess your way to heaven. You can't. It's a gift. But fellowship, sweet communion with God, that can get marred by sin. If you cherish sin in your heart, God will not hear you. And I, I believe that it's not that God gets mad at us. I, I believe that he loves us so much that when he sees us walking contrary to his will, uh, John Corson said, he will be strangely silent in order that you might ask him to search your heart and show you what's amiss. Isaiah 59 says that our sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 1 through 3 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, your sin, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It's not that he cannot hear. It's that he will not hear. So when our prayers are not answered, we accuse God of not caring or showing favoritism. But Isaiah says... That it's not a God problem, it's a me problem. Our prayers are coming forth from a heart that's been hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So if you and I are tolerating sin, entertaining it in our life, refusing to confess and forsake it, our prayers will not get answered. I want you to notice what God did not say. He, he did not say that if I've sinned, he will not hear me. Because who knows, we all sin. 
every last one of us in this building sin and fall short of the glory of God. He did not say if there's any, at any moment, if there's sin in our life, he would not hear us. Because 1 John 1.8 says that all of us have sin, present tense, in our life at any time. He said if you say you don't have sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. But what God does say is if I cherish sin in my heart, he won't hear me. I'm a sinner, but I must not love sin. I mustn't entertain sin. It's not about sinning, it's about cherishing sin. Do you see the big difference? If God refused to hear the prayers of sinners, he wouldn't hear any of our prayers because we're all sinners, saved by grace. Solomon says not one of us, not one single person in earth is good and never sins. There's not one righteous, Romans says, not even one. So the fact is that sin is present in our life. That's not the reason that God refuses to answer prayers. It's when our heart becomes hardened because of lack of repentance and, and that our prayers will become futile and ineffective. Repentance is the key. And we see that in Psalm 51. This is David. David who is a man after God's own heart. And what does he do? He sees a woman, he lusts after her, he takes her, he has sex with her outside of marriage, she gets married, she gets pregnant, he takes her husband, murders her husband, so now he's not just an adulterer, he's not just a man who got a woman pregnant outside of marriage, he is now a murderer. And he started to cherish that sin in his heart. And what happened? Nathan went to him and, and called him out. And, and he went back to God. And the Bible says that he asked God to have mercy on him. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. I did evil in your sight. And the Bible says that the Lord heard his prayer. He heard his prayer. And he forgave him. But it was only when he said, against you and you alone have I sinned, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Repentance is the turning away from all the things that grieve God and turning towards him. You say, well, Rhea, I'm invited to come boldly into God's presence and find help in my time of need. Prayer is a privilege, but it comes with responsibility. Don't get me wrong, we can't earn a place of meeting with God, that's grace. But we have to respond to grace with a behavior that God can honor. Our fellowship with God gets interrupted with sin. And our refusal to deal with that sin and remove it causes our prayers to be hindered, useless, meaningless. And he waits for repentance. He waits for heart change. And then he'll hear our prayers. Adam and Eve in the garden, God gave a command and they purposely, willfully were led away with their fleshly desires and they disobeyed God. And what happened? They felt the separation. They went and hid from God. They were enticed and lured away. And that's what the enemy tries to get each one of us to do every single day. He wants to take us out of fellowship. If he can't stop us from going to heaven, he wants to hinder our fellowship with the Lord. Dr. Effie Marsh says there's nothing that so takes the joy out of a prayer life as unconfessed sin on the conscience. You say, well, Rhea, help me have some idea of what sin really looks like. There's a pretty clear list found in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Turn there. It's the acts of the flesh, and that's a good place to start. 
And, and it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Can I tell you, they're obvious to anybody that's around you. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not a complete list, but it's a pretty good start. So ask yourself, are you guilty of cherishing any of these sins in your heart? Sexual immorality, jealousy, anger, rage, hatred, lying, drunkenness, envy, selfish ambition. The list goes on and on. You might be sitting here tonight and you cherish gossip in your heart. You, you like a juicy morsel. You like to hear something about somebody. And you know it's wrong, but you rationalize it. You justify it. You, you minimize it. You might not even want to give it up. You might be cherishing sexual immorality in your heart. You, you know you're not being faithful to your spouse, and you know that Jesus said if you even look at a woman with, with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery, but you dismiss it, and you justify it, and you rationalize it. Oh, you still want God to bless you and answer your prayer, but you're not willing to give up that cherished sin. You're not willing to forsake it or abandon it. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite, I just loved him, and um, I, I like to read anything I can get of his. He says, can I desire him to connive at my sin and accept me while I willfully cling to evil in any way? An imperfect petition, God, will hear for Christ's sake, but not one which is willfully miswritten by a traitor's hand. For God to accept our devotions while we're delighting in sin would be to make himself the God of hypocrites, which is a fitter name for Satan than the Holy One of Israel. Greg Laurie says, we can pray with passion, we can pray with faith, we can pray with all the gusto we have, but if there's an area in our life that is not right before God, then our prayers will be unheard. So remember that the goal of prayer, Spurgeon says, is the ear of God. And unless that is gained, the prayer has utterly failed. The uttering of it may, be, may have kindled a devotional feeling in our minds. The hearing of it may have comforted and strengthened the hearts of those with whom we prayed. But if the prayer has not gained the heart of God, it has failed in its essential purpose. So I, I want you to just ask yourself, I, I hope that this message got to you the way it did to me this week have you ever asked yourself lord why are you not answering my prayers because i i said to the team tonight the bible says that the word of god is yea and amen to those who believe the promises of god are yea and amen to those who believe when I pray, if you ever come and pray with me, you will see that I don't pray fine-sounding words. I don't say, oh, Father, bless me, give me this, I want that. I pray the word of God. I don't waste time. I, I train the team to pray the word of God. I, I don't want to hear, well, let's just bless sister so-and-so, and can you just be with them, and can you give them something nice? I, 
That's whiny prayers. I, we don't pray like that. We pray the word of God. That's why we need to get the word of God within us because he says that if you ask anything according to my will, it will be given to you. So I don't want to waste my prayer by praying my will. I don't want to waste my prayer by praying fine-sounding words that he can't bless. I'm praying his will. And so when I pray his word, I know it's his will. That's why it's so important that we get his word in us. And so I, I don't have a lot of time for just babbling in prayer. I, I want to hear the word of God come pouring out of people's mouth because I, I will often, tonight in prayer, I said to the team, Let's, let's remind him of his word. Let's make some confessions into the spirit realm about what he says because that's what he'll bless. He blesses his word. His promises are yea and amen to those who believe. How did I get on that subject? Fine sounding words though. Um, I, I, want, I don't want my prayers hindered. And so when we pray the word, we should have confidence that God hears us and he'll answer. And so if we're praying his word and praying in agreement with his word and we're not seeing the answers to our prayer, that should be a red flag to say, do I have anything in my heart that's unconfessed? I came in tonight to prayer, and because I've been studying this all week long, the first thing I did is says, we're going to have some time of confession in this prayer time. And I want you both to, you, you all to sit before the Lord, and I want you to come clean and confess in your heart anything that, because I need these prayers to count. And so I, I can come in clean, but if you're not clean and you're praying in agreement with me, we're not going to see those prayers go, go forth because they're going to be hindered. Do, do you see? And, and so I, I really, this, this word, maybe I can't tell, I can, I'm trying to read your faces to see if it got to you like it did to me. But I, I'm telling you, I, I see this is God's word, and I believe God's word. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. And, and so it's important that we take some time and reflect God isn't this, I'm going to punish you. That's not who he is. And I can't hear your prayers. Rhea's talking and I don't hear. I can't listen. He just wants me to deal with that stuff in my heart. He's given me the solution. If you confess, I'm faithful and just. And I'll forgive you. And I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So just confess it. Just come into agreement with me. Call it what it is. Don't call it fun. Don't call it a wallet full of money. Call it what it is. And we'll come into agreement. How can two walk together unless they agree? And we'll have fellowship again. But I want fellowship with you. And so let's get rid of that stuff that's blocking the fellowship. Do you see? It's not to leave you condemned. Oh, I have such a stinky life and I've done so many horrible things. Trust me. You've not seen anybody that's done more horrible than this girl. This is not to leave you condemned. This is to bring you into a place of deeper fellowship with God. He is willing, and he'll be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. It's there and available. Avail yourself to it instead of cherishing and entertaining that sin in your heart. So I'm going to ask Meg to come and play and just close us out with a song. But while she does, I'm going to ask you to do some business. 
uh, with the Lord before you leave and just say, Lord, is there any unconfessed sin in my heart? Is there anything that I'm, I'm cherishing, that I'm, I'm hanging on to, that I'm entertaining, that I'm protecting with every ounce of my being? And, and you might even not even be able to say, I, I'm going to confess it. You might only be able to say, help me to not want to protect it. Help me to want to let it go. On the way here tonight, I said to the Lord, I really hate this thing in my heart that I'm hanging on to and cherishing. But I'm not even entirely sure how to get rid of it. And I need you to help me to get rid of it. That might be someone's prayer here tonight is, I don't like it. I just don't know how to get rid of it. So can you help me, Lord? Some of you might be in a place where you're like, I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. Because I'm telling you, sin is tasty for a season, says the chief sinner. It's tasty for a season. You'd never do it if it wasn't tasty. The Bible says a sin is tasty for a season, but in the end it leads to death. Trust me. Every tasty sin I've ever indulged in has led me to a place of death. So let me save you a whole lot of pain and heartache. Agree with God and call it what it is, sin. And don't trade up for the bigger wallet, for what the enemy is waving before your eyes, saying it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Trade up. Give me what you have. Give me God's best. Because <laughs> that's not better than this. And you surrender God's best and you get an empty wallet. So please, before you leave, the end of all things is at hand. Be watchful. Awake to the schemes of the devil. Alert and sober-minded. Because he is out to get you. And sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. And this is the first step in mastering it, saying, I don't want this stuff in my life. The Lord, take it.